Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And welcome to the show. Welcome to today's show. Uh, it is Wednesday, Jesus, uh, 6.45 p.m. here on the East Coast. Uh, we we missed out on recording an episode Sunday because uh, Corin and, and my teams were a little bit busy getting eliminated from the postseason, eliminated from World Series contention, getting bounced out of their respective LCSs. Uh, so we'll obviously have to devote some chunk of time to that. Um, honestly, that's most of the show. <laughs> there's a lot of bitching and griping that I know at least I have to do. Um, so I guess to that effect, Corwin, shall we start with the Padres of it all? Yeah, let's start with the pads. All right. So the Philadelphia Phillies best of the San Diego Padres in five games. Uh, Phillies took games. The first game Padres came right back to the second one. And then Phillies took the th- next three straight Um winning all of the home games in Philadelphia, not giving the team a chance to head back to San Diego as now the lowest seeded team in the national league, which would not even have made the playoffs last year or any previous wildcard era year is now on their way to the world series, which is fucking bananas. Uh, The Phillies best Harper, best Harper, the Phillies best hitter of the series was no surprise. Bryce Harper, who indeed won NLCS MVP win probability added of uh, 0.79, which is very high. He had an OPS in the entire series of 1250, which is nuts. Uh, second only on the team to Kyle Schwarber and his 1571. The the big boppers did some bopping. Um, championship win probability added of 12.28, just nuts. Uh, worst performer on the team: Brandon Marsh, Gene Segura, Alec Bohm. Uh, Nick Castellanos, all those dudes had negative uh, win probability added. The only guys on that team for the Padres side of things, Juan Soto was the best player by win probability added uh, 0.57. Same thing with championship win probability added 9.77. Finished the series with a 944 OPS, second only on the team to Brandon Jury and his 1104 OPS. Uh, Josh Bell, Manny Machado, Jay Cronenworth round out the top five there. No players with negative win probability. Oh, sorry. That, that was a lie. It's wrong. It's a lie. Lots of players with negative win probability added. I didn't have it sorted right. Uh, funny enough, Manny Machado, one of them, which is a little bit surprising, but Austin Ola, Trent Grisham, Manny Machado, Will Myers, Hassan, Kim, Jerks, and Profire, and Josh Bell, all negative on that front. For the Philadelphia Phillies, pitching win probability added leader was Zach Wheeler. He started two games. Had a 1.38 ERA, one win, one no decision, 13 innings pitched, only two earned runs allowed, 16 strikeouts, one walk. Uh, Worst guy was Brad Hand. Is anyone fucking surprised? Uh, Aaron Nola being second worst on the team by win probability added is a little bit of a shock. But, I mean, when you only get one start and that start sucks, you're going to have a bad time, you know? So nothing maybe too indicative of his world potential World Series performance, but certainly of note. On the Padres side of things, for pitching, it's it's a lot of bad, not a lot of good. The best pitcher on the team by win probability added was Nick Martinez. That seems like a problem, especially because he only threw six innings. 
Uh, the worst guy on the team was Sean Manaya, which should not be a surprise. He had a 33.75 ERA as he came in through 1.1 innings and allowed five earned runs on four hits and two walks. Uh, Mike Clevenger had an infinite ERA as he started the game and then was incapable of making it out after allowing three earned runs. And the best innings pitched man on the team was you Darvish with 13 of them had a pretty nice outing as well. Um, in his, in his pair of outings, 2.77 ERA for the, for the series, 12 strikeouts, uh, but four earned runs, four walks, 11 hits, rough all around. Corbin, I'm sure you watched these uh, significantly more attentively than I did. Let me, yeah. let me hear about it. Um, man, it's tough to say that the Padres lost this. Uh, it, it really does feel like the Phillies just kind of went out and won it. Um, yes, having Sean I explode didn't help. Yes, having Mike Clevenger absolutely destroy whatever momentum we had uh, in the final game or the this penultimate game um, really changed how that felt like it was going to go. Um, I mean, Kyle Schwarber turned it on and turned into the NL run leader that he was this season. Bryce Harper like a 1300 OPS just about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard not to, to give up runs when a guy is hitting like that. Um, you know, bullpen was great, uh, except for Sean Manaya. who would have thought, um, once again, starting pitching behind the workhorses just wasn't there and, uh, caused a lot of issues. All told, I can't be upset. Like, it's not something where, like, I'm sitting here heartbroken or, you know, crying or pouting or shit's unfair. Like, motherfucker, we beat the Dodgers in four games. We beat the Mets in three games of a three-game series. Shut up. Um, but I can't help but feel, you know, bittersweet about how it ended up. The Phillies were supernova uh, during the playoffs this year. And, you know, they're going to the World Series and have played like the best team in the National League in the postseason. It's, it's hard to it's hard to be upset by that. But um, definitely a lot of things are going to need to be tweaked going into next year. Also, I guess let, let's start with that a little bit. What do, what do you expect to be changed? What were some takeaways, maybe starting with the positive and then and first just knock those out and then give me some negatives and some remedies for them heading into next year? I mean... Ron Niebler came in and fucking turned the pitching staff on all levels around. He has been the MVP of this team. And then outside of that, we're going into next season with Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis. That's going to be a tremendous core that will allow a lot of leeway with how we build the rest of the roster. And most importantly, not Eric Hosmer. And not Eric Hosmer, which is fucking huge addition to the team. We don't necessarily have a first baseman at this point. Uh, we have guys that could play first base, but I also know that first basemen aren't exactly the rarest commodity in the world. Uh, Luke Voigt could always come back. That would be awesome. Um, there needs to be some help starting pitching. Uh, Clevs, I believe, is going to be gone. Sean Manaya is going to be gone. Nick Martinez, I think, is a free agent. Uh, he might be back, but even then, he's more 
effective uh, as a long reliever than he is a starter. Um, and then it's the Fernando Tatis question. Is he going to come back healthy? Is he going to come back focused? I don't know. He was asked, or AJ Preller was asked uh, in the end of season uh, press conference, uh, what position he would prefer to see Fernando Tatis next year. Uh, he responded with on the field. Fair point. Um, I think, I don't know. I think we should kind of throw him in the right field. I think we move Juan Soto over to the left where we can kind of hide him a little bit. Stick with Grisham in center field because he's an electric glove and he had an awful season, but it's a, you know, adoration rather than the expectation. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, for reference, the three starting pitchers who are on the roster for heading into next season for the Padres, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, and Blake Snell. So no one under the age of 30. Uh, and then the relief pitchers who are on the team starting with the most degree of note and moving down, uh, Josh Hader, Drew Pomerantz, Nick Martinez, Ray, uh, Robert Suarez, Luis Garcia, Tim Hill, Austin Adams, Adrian Marone, um, Michael Baez, and Jose Castillo. Oh, sorry, and Ray Kerr. Um, so who are oh, the free that... agents amongst the bullpen? If there's, you probably can't see that, but. Uh, um, give me time if I can. Yeah. I think that it is a very, very strong foundation. Uh, we don't really have anyone expected to come up and, and be anyone of note anymore, which does kind of suck a little bit, but at the end of the day, it ended up making Juan Soto appear, so I can't be too upset. But No, you don't uh, have to be upset. I think there's like 55 million in cap, not cap, but money available to kind of get two starting pitchers. Yeah, by the way, this is um, the list of uh, pitcher free agents, which is by far the better way of doing this. Uh, Sean Manaya, Nick Martinez, who has a player option, which is or a club option, which is why he's in both lists, along with Robert Suarez, also has a club option. Uh, Mike Clevenger will absolutely be picked up. I would think, because they're not expensive. Um, uh, Mike Lovinger, Craig Stammon, Pierce Johnson, and Tyrell Jenkins. Those are the guys. So really not uh, not a impactful crop of dudes that you probably can't replace, but it also, because two of those dudes are starters or at least could be starters, definitely, definitely going to be an area to be addressed in the offseason for the Padres, especially since the bullpen looked great and your issue this postseason was clearly starting pitching. I would be very open to bringing back Mike Clevenger if the deal would be for significantly less than what name value Mike Clevenger would bring. I mean, he's coming off Tommy John. He's coming off an awful season where he never – he was never successful at any point. I think a full, healthy offseason going into next year – Will allow him to turn his shit around. And if worse comes to worse, if he's a a number five starter for us, okay. That's that also is I'm very willing to roll. And by all means, it seems very much like he enjoyed his time in San Diego. And let, let's be honest, like Clevenger is going to take a one year prove it deal from wherever he goes. Like right. whatever whatever team he plays for next year, it's odds on going to be like 
you know, a one year, 10, $15 million contract, just like a show us, show us no one's going to commit years and dollars to Mike Clevenger next season Mm -hmm. because he hasn't earned that. He's definitely like Corwin said, he's definitely got enough. I don't want to say pedigree, but maybe intrigue to take a flyer on. Yeah. But potential is much better word to take the flyer on, but no, no one's going to come after Clevenger you know, like right. two, 200 mil, five years. Like it's not, it's not happening. I'll eat my I mean, words if it does, but I'd be shocked. Yeah. I mean, if you could get 75% of what Mike Clevenger was at his peak, that's really good for a four or five pitcher. Um, I, I guess let's talk about, um, we'll leave the, Phillies for the moment because we'll talk about them and their matchup against the uh, Astros for the World Series. So to that effect, let's talk about the other series, the ALCS, um, in which the Houston Astros swept the New York Yankees um, four games to none. ALCS MVP here is the shortstop Jeremy Pena. Uh, The Astros best player by win probability added was Jeremy Pena. An 1176 ERA, uh, followed by by win probability added Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez. Although Jordan Alvarez, with just a 675 OPS, um, was actually handled really quite well by the Yankees. The worst hitters for the Astros uh, in order of badness: uh, Kyle Tucker, Aledmus Diaz, Trey Mancini, and Jose Altuve, as the only guys with negative win probability added. For the Yankees, the best guy was no shit Harrison Bader. 22 in probability added. It was nuts. What a performance. Um, 1271 OPS uh, was the by far the best on the team, followed by Giancarlo Stanton with actually also a subpar OPS at 625, and then Anthony Rizzo at 1021. Uh, the worst guys on the team and, and uh, all the negative OPS or negative win probability added dudes ranked from badness is Matt Carpenter, Josh Donaldson, Aaron Judge, Jose Trevino, Oswaldo Cabrera, Kyle Higashioka, Oswald Peraza, uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falafa, and Glaber Torres. As you can tell, that's most of the Yankees hitters, as only three of them had positive win probability added. Tough to have a good set of performances when your team gets swept. Win probability added leader for the Astros pitching side of things, Ryan Presley for 49, which is huge, followed by Christian Javier and Framber Valdez. Only two dudes negative here are Lance McCullers Jr. and Hector Neris. For the Yankees, the best guy by win probability added was Jamison Tyone. And then the guys who are negative is everybody uh, that's not like the top four dudes. It is uh, Nestor Cortez, Clark Schmidt, Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Wandy Peralta, Frankie Montaz, Jonathan Loisega, and Luis Trevino, Lou Trevino. Oh, man, it is just everybody. And like we said, I think... Well, I forget what team we said this about heading into the CS series. Every person here, I think it was the Dodgers, maybe. Every person here has either like a zero ERA or an over five ERA. Clay Holmes, zero. Frankie Montas, nine. Domingo Herman, zero. Luis Severino, 5.06. And again, it's it's small sample size, but just to show you that the runs were not exactly spread out amongst the 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 pitching staff that made their appearances, they were, you know, rather condensed, I suppose. Uh, the most going, of course, to, uh, well, most runs going to Garrett Cole earned runs is a, is a, is a tie. Um, oh, the Yankees. Oh, so this has become 
this has become a thing. I get, yeah. Number one, because the Astros have now eliminated the Yankees and the, they're all four of their meetings since 2015, 2016, whenever that wild card series was, I want to say it was 2015 when, yeah, it must've been because 2016, we traded Chapman over to the Cubs. So 2015, the Astros bounced the Yankees from the wild cards round in 2017. The Astros bounced the Yankees from the ALCS 2017 or 2019 bounced the Yankees from the ALCS 2022 bounced the Yankees from the ALCS. And that who cares? That's not the interesting part of things. Like teams are going to have playoff windows that coincide with other teams. That's perfectly fine. Rivalries can come and go. That's the nature of being a sports fan. You know, like Corey and I have talked about this to a certain extent. Like my my father as a Jets fan grow, grew up hating the Dolphins because they Dolphins were good when he was young, even though the Dolphins have, have not. Their success has been extremely stilted in my adulthood to the point where who fucking cares? But I have a vehement hatred of the Patriots because they were dominant during my lifetime. Funny enough, my dad grew up a Dolphins fan. Funny how life works out. Yeah. yeah. Well, Marino. Yeah, man, I'll do a lot of things to you. So yeah, to that end, it's like the loss is not for, for me anyway is not emboldened by the fact it's the Astros. It is now a thing that one would expect to see, you know, be addressed more in the regular season when the two teams go into each other's respective cities. And it's like, ah, here come those Astros. And it's like, yeah, they're a good team. They're the one of the best teams in baseball have been for years. That would be the case no matter what kind of like when any team that's good goes into the city of any other team that's good. That's how sports works. The thing that is frustrating about this is that this felt like the most wildly predictable outcome for this season fucking possible. And that's what's got me especially pissed off about it. And what I think has a lot of Yankees fans especially pissed off about it. Like if you're telling me that a team where you have Isaiah Connor Falefa starting meaningful games at shortstop where Josh Donaldson can't hit a ball down the middle to save his life where, where you have the bloated contracts of all these guys. You're paying $25 million to, to Josh Donaldson to, to for, for what Aaron, the ghost of Aaron Hicks out there contributing nothing, the refusal to call up the young guys. And then when you do call them up, you never fucking play them. They're all of these instances Boone's bullpen management and his player personnel management. They're telling me that Isaiah kind of couldn't be trusted to start an elimination game in Cleveland in the ALDS, but he gets to start an elimination game in the Bronx in the ALCS when he was benched because of defensive miscues and then fucking surprise defensive miscue that ultimately led to Garrett Cole blowing up. I, I mean, it's the type of shit that the average Yankees fan has been complaining about for years that led to, again, the most wildly predictable outcome possible. Glaber Torres has looked wildly inconsistent his entire time in pinstripes. So to see him have kind of a turd outing isn't really a surprise. And that's fine. That's, that's baseball. Everyone's going to go through peaks and valleys. The problem is, 
those dudes who who you can expect real contributions from are so few and far between on that Yankees roster. You you got you got Cole Judge and and, and Giancarlo, who you who you should um sorry not Cole Rizzo Judge and Giancarlo who you should expect from. And then who? And then who? Then everyone else you make excuses for. The fact that Harrison Bader stepped up is is great. Like that's a guy who who you would make excuses for because he's got great defense and that's why you have him on the roster. But so ex- explain to me the other five fucking dudes on this goddamn team. Like yeah, n- no no shit. Oswald Peraza comes up in his second ass. You called him up in, in beginning of September and then never fucking played him. No time to adjust to major league pitching. Hey, go hit in the ALCS. Isaiah Kanafalafa has been ass his entire career at hitting. This is what we talked about when we got when the Yankees traded for him. You're shocked he can't hit. He's been buns at defense all year. You're shocked he has a misplay. Aaron Hicks has been injured nonstop for the past what three years, four years, and th- what's been the outfield replacement? What? What has been the outfield solution for the Yankees? Matt Carpenter? Oh, wow. He didn't contribute after being off the team for like two months from injury? Color me fucking surprised. And you had him starting in the outfield. Look, having Matt Carpenter starting for you in the outfield in like June? Fine. Whatever. See if he can do it. Who fucking cares? That's not a long-term solution. That's a first baseman. You expect at like 37 to learn the outfield? You're fucking serious to, to, to bet on that? I get that the Yankees team got hurt a little bit. Fuck you. Every team gets hurt. Eat shit. Happens to all teams. This is just a poorly constructed roster that's full of bloat. So who do you place the crosshairs on who I, I don't want to say who is the mastermind because that kind of puts the crosshairs precisely on one individual person, but who, who does the buck have to stop at? Well, it's Hal. We all know it's Hal. He's, he's a horrible owner, but the thing that's got me, usually I'm very defensive of Brian Cashman because I've always believed he operates within the confines of what Hal is willing to do. But that that's, what's got me fucking mad as shit about this specific Yankees team is that it is an expensive team. There is a lot of money in this team. It's just in the stupidest goddamn places fucking possible. That's what I can't shake. So for instance, here we go. 2023, your 2022 Yankees payroll. Josh Donaldson is the third highest paid player on this team. Like you're telling me that, that, that Hal is going to okay the acquisition of, of Donaldson and, and Kiner Falefa who cost $4.7 million. So that's 27 and change million dollars together, but can't okay Bryce Harper at basically the same fucking money. That's actually who's, more expensive uh, than Bryce. Who's actually underpaid, by the way. If, Who absolutely uh, is. But that's, that's what I'm saying. That contract 
you're telling me Brian Cashman couldn't sway ownership on because Harper's what 26 and change a year, right? Well, I have it up somewhere. Uh, it was I did prepare uh, for this 300 million over like, yeah, I got it. It's um an AAV of 25 mil point three, 25.3 mil. Literally, Donaldson and Falefa, who you traded for, cost more than Bryce Harper. <sighs> and that was this season that they decided to do this. And look, I know that money comes often on the books. I, I'm aware of this, which is, which, is, which is why I'm going back. Going way, way back. Because, I, oh, hold on one second. All right, so just just for reference, where we are today with MLB team payrolls at the at the conclusion of the 2022 season. Okay, starting there, the Yankees have the third highest payroll in baseball, 265 million dollars for this hot sack of shit. Just to be clear, the Houston Astros ninth highest in baseball. Don't even crack 200 mil. The Phillies in the World Series, $255 million. So just putting that out there. Corbin, would you like to take a stab, if you can recall, what the Yankees' total payroll was in 2018? Uh, $180 million. $166 million. Wow, I was much closer than I was expecting to be. One six, they are spending just about two hundred, or sorry, a hundred million dollars more today on this Yankees team than they were spending at the end of the 2018 season. The highest paid players at the end of that year: Giancarlo Stanton, 25 million dollars; Masahiro Tanaka, 22 million dollars; Jacoby Ellsbury, 21 million dollars; Araldis Chapman, 17.2, and, and David Robertson. 13. Those are those are the the big dogs. Brett Gardner and CC Sabathia round out all the guys making over $10 million that season. Now, I bring this up because the end of the 2018 season was an interesting offseason because there was two marquee free agents that year. Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, who both basically said, "Let's be Yankees." Bryce Harper preeminently shaved his beard off seemingly as a ploy to get the Yankees interested in signing him. And the Yankees spit on that. So what did they do? They headed into the 2019 season, $40 million higher in payroll than they were at the end of the 2018 season, which sounds nuts. Some marquee additions. You might ask, well, the top four paid players from 2019 are the same top four from 2018. Stanton, Tanaka, Ellsbury, and Chapman. Instead of the $13 million owed to um, David Robertson, they spent $13 million on Zach Britton. They signed Jay Happ for $17 million. As This is the offseason they brought on DJ LeMayhew for $12 million. bucks. Didi Gregorius is still there. He got a raise, so he's making 11 And then Adovino at 9 uh, James Paxton comes on at, at 8.5. It, it, and, and then it's just a lot of, it's a lot of arbitration spending increasing and, and some, some debt pieces. Really it's $40 million to not get significantly better. 
this Yankees roster, of course, went on to the ALCS where they got bounced by Houston. You obviously look at the Jacoby Ellsbury contract, that $21 million of just straight up dead money because he wasn't playing with the team at that point. He was injured uh, and say, well, that's the reason the Yankees aren't going to be willing to spend. But as we said at the time, that is a short-term perspective. The idea that, that, that contract placement on your team, money owed to players is transient should be part of your calculation on whether or not you're going to sign marquee players to contracts. You shouldn't say that, all right, well, next year's payroll is $190 million. We shouldn't bring in $30 million, a $30 million player because we don't want to spend over 200 mil. That's the wrong thinking. The right thinking would be, okay, that's next year. Two years from now, though, players X, Y, and Z come off our books and that contract will not be bad. Like we will be under the luxury tax threshold with that $30 million player by virtue of expiring contracts that we will not have to worry about being on our books any longer, which was the Jacoby Ellsbury situation. Because if you take him off this team, which I mean is what happens when you look at the 2020 payroll going one season beyond, it gets much improved. Now the 2020 Yankees still managed to spend uh, $254 million, which is obviously a, Nice size increase of 50 million bucks over what they spent. Well, really, it's the um, extrapolated out because 2020 was obviously a, a shortened season. So the, the numbers look significantly larger than they would because of the adjustment that needed to, not needed to, got agreed upon b- between the two parties. But even then, you're going to struggle to find where that money really went that wasn't just increase in, in arbitration eligible players. Aaron judge creeps up in the, the, the earning categories, Gary Sanchez, Gio Rochella, Chad green, just a bunch of arb dudes making a little bit more money um, in terms of actual players coming in. I mean, your top four dudes, top five dudes are still the same top five dudes from last time. Cole, or sorry, we added Garrett Cole, but uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Tanaka Chapman and Hap are the same top four dudes as last time. And you add Garrett Cole. That's essentially it. You add Garrett Cole's $36 million contract to this team, looking at about the same payroll as you were looking at the, the, the year the year prior. And again, really, if you look at it positionally, there's not a lot of change that's taking place within to the, the the makeup of the team. You got Garrett Cole, or sorry, Gleyber Torres is your only active shortstop on the roster. You've got Judge in right field, Gardner and Hicks in center. Um in, in left, you've got some combination of Frazier and Talkman. And then sometimes Giancarlo Stanton. And guess what, folks? That's basically the Yankees' current outfield situation today. This is the roster from, from two years ago. Completely unaddressed. I mean, the Yankees' outfield situation in, in heading into the 2019 season was, was suspect as well. Yeah, you have Stanton potentially playing left field. That'd be nice. But we all know he's really going to be in there for, for the DH. You got Judge playing right. That's great. Center field, some combination of Gardner and Hicks. So you got you got a problem in left. You got a problem in center. You've got Judge and right. That is today's Yankees almost four years ago. 
unaddressed. Was that the sigh of a man with something to say? No, that was the sigh of uh, kind of coming to terms with the situation. And mind you, in this is also the question of, uh, hey, who, who's playing third base for the Yankees? Great fucking question. Shithole <laughs> right now. And 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 it's it's been a shithole for years. I mean, if we're gonna just to just to take that conversation, third base and shortstop. I'm, I'm using third base because because Manny Machado that was you know his contract year, um, or his uh, his off season eligible year. Third base in 2018, Miguel Andujar. I mean, fucking come on. Like, yeah, he won rookie of the year that year. But if we have the option to replace a guy who who won rookie of the year and might be something going forward, a guy with an abysmal walk rate, horrible, horrible ability to swing at every, bad, like Javi Baez 2.0, but with significantly worse defense, is not a guy you should be taking much chances on. And then surprise, he gets hurt. You're looking at uh, 2019, Gio Rochella, serviceable, sure, totally fine. Is that a long-term solution that you're getting lucky with two players two years in a row? And then 20, uh, 2020, you got Gio Rochella again. And then in 2021, you have Gio Rochella again, who continued, continued to get worse every year proceeding because, of course, he would. You got lucky. You should not bank on these things. That's dumb that's what dumb people do bring us to last year 2021 yankees still spend 255 million dollars so the team has remained revenue neutral on on it on it on it it's player compensation top three dudes are still the same garrett colgin carlos stan rolls chapman Corey kluber has joined the ranks on a one-year deal Severino, Judge, Sanchez, Rochella, all near the top. You've only got six dudes making over ten million bucks. Everybody else is on smaller contracts. You, you know, Jameson Tyone's making two and a half. Jordan Montgomery's making two. You're right. It, you know, DJ uh, Mayhew's making fifteen. Uh, Luke Ford's making four point seven. Uh, Clint Frazier made two That's million huge bucks numbers. that year. Right. Right now, some of the, you know some of these signs, bit you in the ass. You know, Darren O'Day. I don't remember him barely playing that year. Signed for one point seven million bucks. Yeah, and and this is the continuation of Aaron Hicks just sucking, uh, just injuries, injuries, injuries. Sixty day IR stint that year for the wrist, ten million, eleven million bucks. And then that heads into the twenty twenty two season, which we just concluded which added a new top of the payroll guy, Josh Donaldson at $23 million. And, and it begs the question of to what end? Because we've seen the payroll increase a hundred million dollars, essentially from what we just saw in just two years, the difference between the 2018 Yankees at $155 million and the 2020 Yankees, which would have been extrapolated out to $255 million is not a substantively different roster. The only great addition to the team is Garrett Cole, and you can say, yes, that's great. Outside of that, all of the issues that persisted in 2018 persisted in the years to come. The bullpen shuffled Chapman, or Chapman, uh, Cashman's great at. 
So the, the bullpen had been totally fine. Starting pitching was improving, especially since you had Garrett Cole to kind of lock it down and be a workhorse. But third base was still an issue. Shortstop still an issue. The outfield's a fucking mess. And while it doesn't matter that much, first base was an issue. And catching was kind of a problem. All of these things are true today. The only players that are on the Yankees today that have any really solid impact on the organization, on, on the performance of the team, if we look at it strictly just from the hitting perspective for the moment, are all the guys who were on the team four years ago, plus Anthony Rizzo. Giancarlo Stan on, on the team four years ago. Labor Torres, who was on the 2018 Yankees. Aaron Judge on the 2018 Yankees. No one has been brought in with the exception of an MVP winning baseball player, Anthony Rizzo. Does he have one? I think we're rookie of the year. Did he win an MVP? Uh, I don't know. I do not know the answer to that. And apparently lacks the uh, drive to look it up. No, actually, he didn't even win oh, rookie of the year. No, no, I think no. I'm thinking of Schwarber. Or not Schwarber. Um, the other fucking cub on that team plays in Colorado now. Plays in Colorado. Oh god, what's his fucking name? It's killing me. Wait, say it. Give me some. The other guy here. who was on that Cubs team that won the World Series, who is now playing in Colorado. Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. Thank you. Oh my god, I forgot. Fucking still in uh, San Francisco. <laughs> no, no, he is wasting away in. Co- I think Anthony or um, uh, say his name again. Chris Bryant. Chris, I think Chris Bryant finished the year with like six home runs this year or something like that. Like it was really sad. Five. Uh, I will look that up. Five home runs. You play a full season? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, he didn't. 42 games. My bad. I was looking at his plate appearances for a second. Uh, no, 42 games, but still, that's. Uh... 475 slugging, 851 OPS. He didn't have a bad season, but. Five homers in 40 games playing for the fucking. The Rockies. Rockies. Wasting away with the Rockies. Yeah, but anyway. So outside of Rizzo. And that's why it's like to a certain extent. Yes. Life would be easier if Hal would say. Cashman, do whatever you want. That would be great. And I have faith that if that was the case, we would see some of these more marquee signings. Because as time has gone on, you know, for instance, the Donaldson signing wouldn't have needed to have taken place if he was signed, if if the Yankees had signed Machado in 2018. So instead of this payroll being $255 million with $23 million coming from Josh fucking Donaldson, in his old age, looking, just staring at pitches going down the pipe at 93 miles an hour, it would be seven to nine million dollars higher with Manny Machado, which would probably mean you can avoid making some other acquisitions and trades along the way. It might give you better clarity about what you want to do with guys like Glaber Torres or the Peraza, the, the Oswalds, because then maybe you end up moving on from one of Oswald or, uh, or, 
Oswaldo Cabrera or Oswald Peraza, or you're more willing to give them real meaningful starting games, starting uh, uh, starts, I should say, because you have someone you can lock in at third base that will give you good production offensively and defensively, and you can take more of a swing or lighten up on what you need from a shortstop. Because instead, the Yankees tried to lean on having a veteran presence at both positions because neither one was producing. And they needed to make sure that they were trying to squeeze out whatever they could from the veterans as much as possible. Which maybe with a guy like Manny locking down third base, you have more ability to play around with what happens at short because you don't need to worry about it as much. You've got a guy who can make up for that lack of production if you need to take a chance there. And then you don't need Isaiah Connor for Leffa. Same thing that's been going on in the outfield. You could have moved on from Aaron Hicks instead years ago. Could have saved yourself a couple seasons of Brett Gardner. You could have, you wouldn't have had to bring in uh, Matt Carpenter at all. You probably don't need to make the trade for Harrison Bader. And while that's fine, it, it creates something of a small issue now for our starting pitching. So that, I mean, that might still shake out, but it creates alternate alternate problems down the road. And it's it's these types of roster construction things, as it seems as though payroll has become slightly less of an issue, that still have me wondering, what the fuck are we doing? Treading water. And it begs the question, what's happening with Judge? Because you know what's going to happen? One of two things is about to happen with, with, with Aaron Judge. Either he signs a mega deal with the Yankees. $38 million a year for five years or some shit like that. Who, who knows? Maybe less for more years. I, I have just as much information as anybody else, which is none. And then Hal uses that as an excuse to not sign more players the same way that that was used as an excuse when Garrett Cole got signed. It's like, oh, well, we got the guy and we're done. Nice. Good job, folks. Or they don't sign Aaron Judge. He walks and then they don't do anything which they might not. They might bring in people, sure. Carlos Correa is a free agent. Maybe they bring in Carlos Correa. Absolutely possible. But how do you justify that to yourself that you're going to spend, you're not going to spend, sorry, you you would spend $35 million per year would take to sign Carlos Correa, who's going to be younger than Aaron Judge forever. Uh, So we'll probably have a higher premium for that reason and a more impressive defensive position but not justify spending this 38 or whatever it ends up being on judge. Uh, it, it would make no sense to that end is why I think it's more like the judge stays with the Yankees, but I, I don't even know. And I, then it, sorry, go ahead. I can't foresee him leaving. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe that's just me being not naive and not really looking too closely at what is, you know, actually his thoughts on the matter. Man, but that would be fucking brutal. That would be devastating. It would, because again, the Yankees have yet to bring in an impact player with the exception of Anthony Rizzo on the batting front since they signed Giancarlo Stanton in what I Mm -hmm. believe was 2017. I think that wasn't even a sign. That was a trade. If we're talking about the last contract the Yankees actually gave out, that wasn't a trade. Because the other thing I was trying to think of, and I don't have an answer for this because I made this distinction in my mind a little bit too late. Even the Donaldson contract wasn't a contract the Yankees <laughs> gave him. It was a it was a it was a trade. 
Same thing with the Giancarlo Stan contract. It, it's Garrett Cole's 36 mil, and then fucking who? Fucking who? And I think the answer to that is Aroldis Chapman. Um, I'm I'm looking over the free agents for next year, and there's a couple heavy hitters. You know, Nolan Arenado, Jacob Degrom, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Aaron Judge, of course. But I just I don't see anyone here that's outside of that an absolute must pursue. Well, and part of the the problem. In addition to just to compare this Yankees roster construction to the Houston Astros is that the Yankees are if they are doing better at developing talent, which I think your average Yankees fan would say they are better today than they were five years ago at developing talent. They're unwilling to let those people play. So it's also like Jeremy Pena, his rookie season is batting second for the Houston Astros and just won ALCS MVP. But. While Oswaldo Cabrera has gotten some really good starting time out of sheer necessity and wildly out of position because of what whomever's fucking audacity to just stick with Isaiah Connor Falafa must be fucking somebody in the organization. Like he's got to have his dick in the ass of Cashman for him to stay on this starting lineup every fucking day. Makes no goddamn sense. Um, because like, it almost feels like the Yankees have to pursue these big marquee free agents because there's just no one in the minors to call up and, and and possibly contribute. But I feel like there are those guys. It, 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 it can't be both. It can't be that we have a, a, a good farm system, which all the rankings always say that we do. And a lot of, you know, uh, 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 praise going around on the prospects that, that we have and then no one ever gets played and we only play these shit veterans. I refuse to believe, I refuse to believe that there was nobody in our farm system better than Isaiah Connor falefa this year or that there was nobody in the Yankees farm system that was better than how um, Josh Donaldson played this year. I just refuse to believe it. I, I, I refuse to believe that that Connor Falefa's 84 OPS plus and Donaldson's 94 couldn't fucking be beat. Aaron Hicks took more starts in left field for the Yankees this year than anybody else. 86 OPS plus. I, I, I mean, look, the, the Joey Gallo trade, I think we can all acknowledge is unfortunate and didn't work out. Right. That one is one that everybody was like, this is a great idea. Huge, hard-hitting lefty, a fly ball hitter in Yankee Stadium. Dream matchup. Just didn't shake out. Didn't work out with the Dodgers either. So it wasn't even, you could say, a Yankees issue. But, I I, I mean, point to me where anything is going well with anything else. I mean, Jose Trevino played significantly above expectation, played great defense. The bat was so much better than I think we all expected it to be. 90 OPS plus. That's it. Kyle Higashioka, who's been ass his whole career, 84. He traded for Andrew Benintendi because he had a high batting average at the time he traded for him. Got hurt, not your fault. 109 OPS plus in the year. 
about a 254 if that's what you cared about. I, I mean, go down the line of random fuckos who just are, are doing nothing, nothing. And and, it, and it's money being spent. That's the thing I keep on wanting to come back to. It's money being spent for I don't know what. I have no fucking clue. I don't know what the goal of any of this goddamn spending is. I, you know as well as I, and I, I don't know... I don't know where this money needs to be replaced. Not not replaced. We know where it necessarily needs to, you know, change. Um, what changes the path that they're on with spending? Well, and that's that's why. Look, ownership's not going to change, and that's why I would say it's got to be Cashman. Which is unfortunate because, again, I really like Brian Cashman. But this is, I mean, let me put it this way. If you get rid of Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Conner-Falefa, Araldus Chapman, and Zach Britton, you have enough money to have signed Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and would be saving money doing it. Literally, the payroll will be lower today with those two dudes instead of the other, the four names I just mentioned, who were a drain on the performance of this team this year. Britain obviously hurt, totally understandable. But the fact that there was $32 million devoted to two guys in the bullpen who did not perform well shows a real lack of judgment. I mean, this is not 1987. You not need to be throwing money hand over fist at closers. You just don't need to do it. And it's Mm -hmm. really fucking weird that they did. And I don't know why. Aside from the fact that Chapman's a bad guy, even if he's killing it, how good does a closer have to be for you to be killing it for $18 million? Same same thing with uh with, with he has with, to be an absolute shutdown non-concern for any like there needs to be absolutely zero butts, if ands or butts. That's it. And you have and to have a, nothing me, but you have to have a low enough payroll to do it because of savings in other areas, like uh starting pitching that is largely developed internally, or a starting lineup that's largely been developed internally. And the contract should be probably pretty fucking short. Who gives out five years to a fucking closer? I understand it's a relatively common thing to do, but it still drives me nuts because it feels like it shouldn't. It, 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 that's what I'm saying. Cashman does a good enough job with the churn of the bullpen that I I it is so questionable that these types of things get done. Because of where they subtract from other places, because that's the thing that bothers me about it is like, it's not like Cashman doesn't know who Hal is. You know who this guy is. You know that he is not going to say yes to you spending $280 million. You know it for a fact. Your job, in addition to making sure the farm system is stocked and making depth piece trades and signing marquee players. Your job is to be good with ownership. 
Your job is to understand who they are and understand how to maximize the dollars they allot you to spend. Like, if you've ever worked, whether in government or with governments, then you should know how they operate with their budgeting, which is I have, but who cares? A hundred thousand dollars I have to spend, I, I have in my budget this year. I'm going to spend all one hundred thousand dollars of it on what? Who fucking cares? I just have to spend it, right? And that leads to, uh, you know, some departments not giving a shit what you're selling them at what price. They don't care. They have to spend that money, otherwise the budgets get reduced for in the next fiscal year. So they're looking to just spend on whatever. It almost feels like that's what Cashman does. The Yankees' budget has been apparently $250 million for each of the last three seasons, and he has just spent that with, with no seemingly with, with no plan. That's the thing I can't fucking chase down in this is I don't know what the plan is for this. So you, so, so you already have $160 million committed to next year's payroll, right? I, mm-hmm. I said that real confident. I'm just going to double-check myself. Uh, $150 million. Okay, so that's already only $5 million off of the total payroll for the team you had in 2018. That's how bad it got. We're only $5 million off of, of 2018's payroll, and we haven't even started signing players yet or doing ARB deals yet. This doesn't include Aaron Judge at all. This doesn't include any of the arbitration deals for any of the players who are ARB eligible at all. You're already $5 million off of 2018's payroll. How? What is your plan? Because the smart thing to have done back in the day would have been to say to, to Hal, sign these guys in the 2018 offseason. And if he says no, you go, okay, then let's wait till some contracts expire and sign X, Y, and Z, Carlos Correa and Garrett Cole, not or, and somebody else, right? Let, let, here's the positions of need that we have. Here is the years of time that we have to address them. And here are what our backup options are. And you feel like that's just fucking nowhere. The, the fact I cannot get over the fact that Isaiah Connor Falefa and Josh Donaldson were the best we could come up with. Are either of them going to be on this team next year? Genuinely, I have no fucking clue. The answer should probably be no, but I have no fucking clue. And it's like, you have been trying to address the shortstop position and the third base position for the last four years with nothing to show for it. Nothing. Like six games started for Oswald Peraza and I think like five games for Oswald Cabrera at shortstop. Nothing. Nothing. For what? And again, that's the thing that's got me bothered about losing the ALCS. It's not that it's to the Astros. Again, congrats. congrats I, don't, like, I don't care. The cheating scandal thing was five years ago. Like, bro, who fucking cares? Um, the thing that's got me burned up is that it was the perfect encapsulation of everything every annoying Yankee fan has said about the team. Here are the issues. All of your attempts to address them have been bad. The team has major flaws in these obvious armchair GM ways. 
fix them. Hurts Corwin. Do they? Easy as that. Do they fix them? Well, uh, you still got a free agents <laughs> up. I mean, you, you uh, look at the list. I mean, what do they do? Who who are they? Who are they going after? I'm, uh, and we're not even talking pitching. I don't even want to talk about pitching. I just want to talk about hitting for now. Who are they going after? Nolan Arenado, Trey Turner. Yeah, if if Arenado truly leaves, I'm not even sure he'll really really get the chance. Uh, did he officially opt out already? I don't know. I'm not sure he did either. Um, yeah, Trey Turner. I fucking doubt it. I love it. I doubt it. Why do you doubt it? Because they haven't shown a proclivity to spend on anything, and nothing is going to get done until we get the determination on Judge's fate. And so then, again, let's say Judge signs, let's say Judge takes a hometown discount or some shit and, and signs for a $35 million contract. Forget the years for a moment. $35 million puts them at $185 million for the year next year without signing anybody else. Then let's say they have to spend another $20 million on the arbitration deals for all the players they have under arbitration. So we're already at $205 million. You sign Trey Turner for $30 million a year. You're going to go all the way up to 230 right off the bat. They sure could. Would they? Doesn't seem likely. I'm just... Lord Corbin, I'm floored because as it stands right now, they have of the of the contract values that we have for certain next year. Josh Donaldson making twenty one million dollars and Aaron Hicks making his ten point seven again. So there's thirty two million dollars on the books next year of uselessness that I'm not sure they can move. I'm not sure there's a way out there, which, which again, what is your plan? You knew, you fucking knew as Brian Cashman that Aaron Judge's contract was going to be up this year. Do you think bringing on a $20 million a year player while you're trying to force, assuming you're advocating for bringing back Judge, to try to force Hal to be on your side for spending money on him. Why? What is it? This isn't age 32, Josh Donaldson. It's age 37, Josh Donaldson. Why would you bring on a $20 million plus per year player when you know you have to make this negotiation? Because if you don't have this fucking guy on the team, then instead of staring at a $150 million payroll, you're staring at a $128 million payroll. And that's way more palatable to hand judge whatever the fuck he wants as a contract and sign players after that. If they were, if they would offer Trey Turner a $30 million contract, but wouldn't because of Josh Donaldson, then there's 21 million reasons why this is the stupidest fucking contract in sports. I, I don't know how to disagree with that statement. As the, again, it's not 
it's not that I fault the team for spending. The team is supposed to spend. The, I, I, every team should do their best to run a $200 million payroll. So kudos. My issue is how they're doing it is stupid. It's so fucking stupid. And it's stupid in a way we can all get behind. Looking at the Aaron Hicks contract, which isn't bad. It's $10 million a year, which for a position player isn't awful. It just hasn't panned out. It'd be so much easier to look at that and say, ah, that sucks, but whatever. If you had something else that made it okay, like not having the Josh Donaldson contract or like having have having figured out who's playing shortstop, if you're going to be calling up one of the young guys to do it, or who if you're going to use any of the young talent you have down in your farm system to come up and be the affordable end of things to help offset the the, the dollar value of the Aaron Hicks contract, which they don't fucking do. Now, look, the, like the Matt Carpenter one worked out. Great for the regular season. Great. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me we had nobody, nobody in the farm system, not a single left-handed bat that they were more willing to take a chance on the 98-year-old Matt Carpenter? I'm glad it worked out. I am. But the successful teams in this league today are not the teams that keep bringing in flyer old dudes to do their best. It's got it's teams like Atlanta and Houston that are calling dudes up and letting them figure it out with the team. The Yankees would never let Michael Harris the second get a shot like like what he got in in Atlanta. Or name a guy, almost any of them. Name a dude with Atlanta that's that's not Ronald Acuna Jr. I don't think the Yankees let, let that guy come up and seriously pitch or hit like Spencer Strider. I don't think that happens on the Yankees. Where has it? No, I don't think Where so. has it? Where has what? Where has it happened on the Yankees? I, I, oh, it hasn't. No. I mean, the last like big time prospect that got called up and gave given was given real playing time was Gleyber Torres. That was given actual real playing time, Glaber Torres. Nobody since then. Some bullpen arms, some spot start dudes, like some bench guys. Outside of that, it's been Glaber. It was four years ago, dude. It was four fucking years ago. Like, that's nuts. That's insane. And that's what I mean with the money. Like, yeah, no shit. Aaron Hicks's $11 million contract looks like an absolute like money pit when you're trying to go get other free agents because you're not calling up young guys that are cheap. And why aren't you calling them? I have no one, no one knows. They don't want to risk it. I don't know. Is it a pure risk situation? I don't know. Well, and that's, well, that's, I, I think what would be the, the safe bet for, for why they're not doing it is the risk of either lowering the value of the player in a potential trade situation or um, having to pay more for that player because then their, their clock starts as a major league baseball player, right? Their uh, arbitration clock starts. But then it's like, well, which end do you want to be effective in? Because I mean, assuming that the clock of arbitration starts for a guy in your fucking double or triple A team, all right, so, oh, oh, no, they're going to make vet minimum for three years of $700,000, or I can go take a a, uh, a vet minimum contract deal with fucking Matt Carpenter. I how much how much did he fucking make? Because that, but that's the thing. Again, that one worked out. Matt Carpenter made $1.4 million with, with the Yankees. 
That's two minor league baseball players for a full season. That's what I'm talking about. Again, that one worked out, but it encapsulates why I have such issues with this, which is why would you choose to be cheap in an area that is infinitely less expensive than the free agent market? An ARB2 player, five years into their minor league career or their major league career, is a fraction of the cost of an Aaron Hicks type dude who has been just fine. You're going to spend two, $3 million on an ARB one, ARB two guy who might be great. Who the fuck knows to keep Aaron Hicks. When we did, it cost $10 million a fucking year. It, uh, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, and but that's the thing. It's the irrational thinking of an of an uninvolved owner who's trying to pinch pennies where he can. It's not the thinking of Brian Cashman or a GM that we would think of as good. But what right. your job is is to convey to that asshole how you are smart enough to do these types of things and save money. To say to him, if we call up Anthony Volpe or fucking whoever. It will cost us less money than going out and trading for the contract of Isaiah Connor Falefa. Because a full season of Anthony Volpe or pick a shortstop, who fucking cares, will cost $710,000 or whatever it is. And I just said uh, Connor Falefa's contract was $4.7 million. It's not in the same fucking stratosphere. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. You should become a Padres man. No, the Yankees should have hired me when I interviewed to be in their player ops department back in 2018. Or what was 20, 2019. I could have saved them, Corwin. I could have saved I, them. Frankly, I can't really disagree. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I, I remember I got like three stages into that interview process. I was cruising. Oh, damn. What could have been? Uh, we wouldn't be having this podcast probably oh almost certainly not yeah yeah but our conversations personally would be significantly more interesting since I'd have behind the, the, the scenes details for you oh yeah and you would totally be able uh, allowed to do that I mean as long as you didn't tell anybody but it's not like you have friends it hurts it hurts Accurate, but it's still yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't. It shouldn't hurt that. It's not true. Corbin is a man with many friends. Um, uh, like I could keep going on. I have so many tabs open <laughs> devoted to to this topic. Um, Josh, I want you to close them all at once. Was it uh, Control Shift W for close all? Alt shift W. Uh, control Alt Delete. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Press that on your laptop. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. But it is also is also just extremely not worth it. Uh, yeah, God, it just. Oh, sorry. The the uh, I've also been having to avoid being on Twitter too much the past few days because it is just been like grueling to see all of the Yankees fans complaining in part because it's like, I agree. 
And it's not like you can even lie to yourself and say, I'm going to go vote in my local election. That'll change things. It won't. It will not. Um, there is God, no- could you imagine if Yankees fans had votes for who the GM and... Uh, and it, yeah, it would be horrible. It would be horrible. It would be the who, worst. But Who do you think would be quote-unquote elected? To be on the Yankees or to, to be the GM? What do you mean? To be the GM of the Yankees. Who would be elected to be the GM of the Yankees? Oh, fucking... If the shit. fans were the ones who voted. The fans would write in Derek Jeter, even though he would have been the owner of the Marlins at this time. The fan, the thing is, that for that, the fans would only vote for former Yankees players because of name recognition. Because the fans are not smart enough. Like, we shouldn't have the vote. But my point was that you can't even lie to yourself and say that you have a vote and you can be some small part right. of change. You know, that's not going to happen unless you go hunt down um, Hal Steinbrenner and fuck him in the butt or some shit like that. I don't know what you do. Just one final thought because sure. um, I thought of it and I'm Googling it. And that means that you have to listen to it. <laughs> Them's the rules. Hold on one second. I'm finishing it up. Um, okay. So, Giovanni Urshela. Yep. He earned 3.1 war this season, going by baseball reference. And he earned in dollars uh, six and a half million bucks. Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, about one war this year, and he earned $9 million. So combined, $15 million bucks, just about, a little over $15 million bucks for just about four war. Isaiah Connor Falefa, uh, $2.9 million, sorry, 2.9 war on um, $4.7 million. And uh, Josh Donaldson, or uh, 2.4 war on $23 million. So you combine those two, $27.5 million for 5.3 war. So 1.3 war more for 12 more million dollars. Hey, Gary, come on down. I'm not even saying to bring the guys back. Like, this is not a, we shouldn't have made, we shouldn't have traded away these players. Like, we would have been better off. It's not even that. It's, Mm -hmm. again, what is the marginal utility of doing this? That's what I want to answer. I don't think any way you look at it, it makes sense for the Yankees. I think there were a lot of, uh, how would you want to call it? There was a lot of accounting decisions made, not baseball decisions. And uh, they worked out about as well as you would expect accounting decisions to go for a baseball team. I don't know. Because like my thing is, if you want to say Gary Sanchez, not the catcher of the future, gotcha. Fine. I bought his jersey. 
but I accept this. You want to say Gio Rochelle is not the third base in the future? Yeah, no shit. Uh, you traded them, two guys who were decidedly not the future, for two other dudes who are also decidedly not the future of your organization for more money, which is real, real confusing. Of course. Again, I could, I could all day, could do it all day. We're going to move on. I know, I know. So the Phillies are facing off against the Astros. This series starts in uh, Houston on uh, Saturday night, Friday, Friday, Friday night. Uh, that's right. What a matchup. I mean, the Philadelphia Phillies who won 87 games this year going up against the uh, Houston Astros who won 106. Just what a difference. It really is something to behold. Um, so looking at head to head matchups, because of course these teams, didn't play each other this year. I thought they did for some reason. Never mind. No, they didn't. Um, all right, give me one. Okay, how they rank against each other just in terms of some general stats. Houston Astros fourth most home runs in baseball this year, 214. Phillies sixth most home runs in baseball, sandwiched between the Dodgers or sandwiching the Dodgers. Phillies with 205. Uh, by OPS plus this season, the Houston Astros finished seventh, the Philadelphia Phillies eighth in OPS plus. So pretty tight matchup in that respect uh, by ERA this season, Houston Astros second best in baseball, the Philadelphia Phillies slightly worse than league average 397 by home runs allowed. Uh, the Houston Astros, second best in baseball, 134. The Philadelphia Phillies, actually quite good in this arena, fourth, fifth best in baseball at not allowing home runs, only 150 allowed. So even though their ERA is, eh, it has not been from the long ball. The long ball has not hurt them, at least as much. Uh, strikeouts from the pitching side of things, Houston Astros, fourth. The Philadelphia Phillies, I'm not counting that far. Let's say like ninth. Um, yeah. So in terms of just some kind of like overview stats, the teams look as though they're primed to get wacky and weird, uh, in terms of how the teams have performed this postseason, though, do you have any thoughts towards a momentum conversation? I mean, I don't know how, like if it was really any other team, I don't know if I would put an excessive amount of stock in the Phillies, their home field advantage and what they've been doing. But Philadelphia is a fucking city full of crazy people where they will eat poop for fun. They, not, not they will, they have, and they continue to, uh, it's Philadelphia, man. Like I, I fully expect them to have, just unrelenting momentum throughout all of this series. I mean, they're on such a tear. Obviously, the Astros are coming off a sweep, whereas the Phillies took an extra game to best their CS opponent. It somehow still feels... Which I thank you for. 
Think me? Uh, I think them four. It gave me a chance to see a victory in the yes, NLCS. Yes, you, you do have that over me, which is you got to see your team win at least a single fucking game in the championship series. Um, Astros being undefeated is not very fun in the postseason so no. far. Not, not what I would call enjoyable. I'm not having a good time. Um, anywho, the uh, Phillies from a plate discipline perspective, um, they're in the zone swing percent, uh, pretty middle of the pack, 62.2. Uh, the Astros are fucking where are they? Oh my god, I just lost the Astros. World Series over. Oh, uh, 68.9% in the zone. So if it's so the, the Phillies are a little bit more willing to look than the Astros. The Astros are definitely going to swing on you. Uh, the Phillies make contact on, on in the zone pitches 82.5% of the time. Uh, the Astros 84. So again, the Astros are much more percentages are small in difference, but they add up. So the Astros are, are a little bit more aggressive in the zone and are successful at making that type of contact. Um, the Phillies will chase on pitches uh, 31% of the time, whereas the Astros only at 29.2. When chasing, the Phillies will make contact 57.8% of the time, and the Astros 59.4. So, again, really, like that's going to be, I think, one of the, the big differences between these two teams. That, And I saw it from the Astros at bats. Like They are very aggressive in the zone and, and aggressive early. And it appears as though much more so than the Phillies and are more successful on that contact than the Phillies are. And they're less aggressive out of the zone than the Phillies are, but more successful on those swings out of the zone than the Phillies are. And you, you really got to think like that's going to be a major contribution. Um, on the first pitch, the Phillies are swinging 31.5% of the time. The Astros 35.5. Really, it's um, it's looking like the difference. And again, this kind of got brought up already, but the whiff rate, Phillies 25.2, uh, Astros 23.2. So really not not swinging and missing. Uh, actually, this is an interesting one. Meatballs. How uh, how many, what percent of the pitches that, that the, the team sees are fucking meatballs? Uh, the Phillies 6.9, the Astros 7.2. See, I really thought that might be lower. That's nuts. Me too. I don't know. Maybe it's just from watching the uh, Padres Phillies matchup, but it seemed like there were a lot of meatballs being served up by our chefs. Expected batting average for the Phillies, uh, 252. That's that's higher than the Astros by three points. Uh, slugging the Phillies again, one spot ahead of the Astros. Expected weighted on base. Uh, this time the Astros are two spots over the Phillies and expected weighted on base. Uh, Oh fuck, con! Especially weighted on base, it's fucking con. What does the con stand for? I forget. Completely blanking. The Phillies are better than the Astros in this respect. That's all that matters for the sake of this exercise. So it really like, again. The Phillies can mash, man. The Phillies can mash. The question is, can the Phillies stop other teams from mashing? That is the real question. As the Astros, the second best. Pitching team in baseball for for expected batting average, the Phillies pretty middle of the pack for expected slugging. The Phillies are a little bit better than they were, but they're still about uh fuck. I'll count this time: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. Astros still second. 
expected weighted on base from the pitching side of things. Astros are still fucking second. The Phillies are eighth and expected. Oh God. X Wobicon. I Corbin Google that shit. I don't know what it means. Like I can't, I can't think of what the con stands for. Yes. It's expected weighted on base average. Oh fuck. Well, bacon. Yeah. Uh, X Wobicon. Uh, pitch type expected weighted OBA on contact. Contact. That's the con. Con. I knew it was. I knew it was. Uh, it was like exit velocity and launch angle as the two of the 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 factors for um weighting uh, of the, the metric. But I I could not remember what the C O N stood for. Contact. Son of a bitch. Um, Controversy. In that respect, again, Astros number two. They've been behind the Dodgers the whole time. That has not moved. Um, and the Phillies dropped back to about ninth. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be – the Astros are such – so much better in this respect that their marginal advantage in the hitting side of things um, – or the, the I should say the Phillies' marginal advantage in the hitting side of things seems vastly overshadowed by the large advantage that the Astros have in pitching. But this postseason has been such a ride as the Astros hitting has not really gotten off the ground. Um, I don't think I mentioned it when talking about the uh, the, the individual series is, um, but the Phillies scored, I don't know, 90,000 runs in their four game, their five games. And the Astros are actually kept pretty under control by the Yankees in, in their, their series in terms of the offensive side of things. It was really just, um, the Yankees offense that couldn't get going and the, the Astros pitching that held them down. Uh, the Phillies scored, let's see. Uh, I mean, 10 runs in game four, which is just nuts. And then five runs in game two, four runs in each of game three and game five. And then their smallest, fewest number of runs was game one when they scored two. Um, mm. Astros had five runs in game three, six runs in games four, and then three runs in game two and four runs in game one. Like they, they, Outside of game five, their their largest lead was two runs. That was it. You know, the, the Yankees kept a, a tight series, whereas um, the Phillies – actually, the Phillies were kept pretty much within range as well um, outside of the, their game four rocking of the, the Padres. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, uh, I fully expect the um... – the Phillies to just fucking go nuts. Who are you rooting for, though? Surprisingly, the Phillies. Unsurprisingly, the Phillies, I should say. Uh, fuck Houston, and the better the Phillies do, the better my life exists in the workplace. Uh, that's a good point. I, I think I'm also rooting Phils here. I tend to root against dynasties, number one, and I really think that the Astros... Inability to win more than one World Series, despite their tremendous performance, um, is hilarious. I mean, don't we all root against dynasties that aren't our team? The jokes write themselves. No, I am also a Jets fan. Absolutely, I know pain. I know suffering. Um, Yeah, and it's like it's the same thing with like the Dodgers. Like to to have such a great team all these years in a row, and to have almost nothing to show for it really is a wonderful feeling as, as, as an opposing fan. Um, plus, 
another edge in my uh, opinion is uh, Philly spent more money, and I want that to be rewarded. I I said this with the the Dodgers. I think it was last year that if you are conflicted, root for the team that spent more money so that more owners look at that and say, ah, yes, I should also spend more money. Uh, plus, are you saying Bryce Harper's hot? That he is very hot. Um, Fucking sexy dude. Are you saying that the Moneyball at, Athletics were a bad thing for baseball? Um, that's actually a tough question. It's a great. Oh, here's how I'm going to answer it. Great short term, long bad term. It's great if you're a, a GM who is actively trying to get their owner to pay more money, but is struggling, but still wants to field a competitive team, right? So finding the arbitrage in the short term is a great way to keep your team competitive year to year. But as a long-term strategy, it's not as viable, as has been shown by the Oakland Athletics. And it has more detrimental side effects, which is to say that owners think that they can get away with sacrificing marginal costs for theoretically better performances due to said arbitrage. Arbitrage uh, might be top five favorite words. Great word. Killer. I think uh, I think I made the realization the other day that uh, uh, touche is part of like my common vocabulary. Probably my favorite word. I use uh, regular. You do use it a lot. Touche, and um, oh, what's your fucking little catchphrase? I can't the thing is, oh, what what is it? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, uh, here's the thing. Um, well, yeah, the thing is, listen, words are hard. Uh, if I have phrases that just kind of work regardless, I'm going to stick with them. Uh, hand of the fist. I caught myself saying to that end four times in the same thought the other day. I was like, oh, that's too many times. You got to find a different phrase. You can't keep saying to that end. To what end? To what end? That end. Uh, all right. My throat hurts. I don't know how how radio hosts do this for a living for like four hours because that's exhausting. Also, your personality has to be right for it, and mine is not. I can't be but this thing. I can't be this worked up and stuff as trivial as baseball anything. every day. Nah, fuck that. I I could probably do more than I can do right now, but I don't want to because doing nothing's pretty fun. I do enjoy nothing. Nothing is pretty great. All right. Well, then, on that note, let's uh, let's get out of here. Uh, if you like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Jason Bob. You can follow Corbin on Twitter. You can do so at Corbin Heller. If you like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye. Uh-huh.